Does everybody have a, a paper? Anybody missing one of these papers? Heidi, you have an extra copy. All right, if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, I know been, people have been in and out for Christmas holidays and what have you. We started a study um, called How We Got the Bible. This is written by John MacArthur, solid, solid teacher in our time. And what, what he aims to do is to show us how we got our Bible, how we can be confident that this book that we have before us is God's Word, and we can bank our lives on this Word. And the more you start to ask questions, because everybody has asked these questions, maybe not aloud, but at some point in your life, you have probably asked this question at least to yourself. Like, how, how do I know that all these pages right here are from God? And... One of the main things that we need to realize, I think, is, as just as a, a side note um, on this study is, God, you know, you remember getting a CD or you remember getting a cassette back in the day, and it had one or two songs on there that you liked. You really wanted that CD or that cassette or maybe even that eight track, I'm going to go back to old school days, or that record. Come on, bring it. <laughs> You remember buying, buying that, and you had one or two good songs on there, but the rest of it was junk, right? It was just filler. But they couldn't just release two songs and expect to get full price for it, so you got mostly songs you didn't care for, but those one or two, that is not what the Bible is. But if we're not careful, we can treat it that way. We can treat it like a lot of it is just filler, and it's not really there for anything and we grab a few verses and we we bank our life on those few verses but there's so much we're somebody is calling me right now Peyton <laughs> so many people miss the whole entire plan of God they miss the whole entire message if you just grab those few pieces so please don't treat the Bible like it's one of those CDs, it's got a few hit songs on it, all right? It, the Bible says that all of Scripture is good for our teaching. All of Scripture is good for our reproof. It's good for correction. It's good for uh, building one another up. So don't, don't miss that. But just to scan back through for those who haven't been here, it starts out and says, Ever since Eve encountered Satan's barrage of doubt and denial, Mankind has continued to question God's Word. They still do today. One of the main things that people hang up on is, that book says that, but I don't, I don't believe that. This book actually deals with that. One of the, the scriptures we're going to look at tonight in Zechariah said that they hardened their ears, diamond hard, to not hear the Word of God. 
Why do we not want to hear the word of God? Right. It doesn't. It doesn't fit what I would like to do, which has been the problem ever since. That's what Satan exposed in Adam and Eve. He said, "Did God really say these things?" Which God really did say these things. Well, He didn't really mean. And like Kevin said last week, I went back and listened to his message. By the way, I wasn't spying anywhere in here. It's it's basically feeding off of what we desire, right? We want to be our own gods. We want to make our own decisions. Well, there's a problem with that, which is spoke about in this word. When we try to be our own God, we are created beings. And until we can get that in our mind and um, understand that we were made for a purpose, then everything will always be about us. So some of the questions, we're just going to skip down a little bit where the, where the dots are. Where did the Bible come from? Whose thinking does it reflect? Is it man's thinking? Is it God's thinking? Did any of the books of the Bible get lost in times past? That is a, that's, that's a very important question to ask, right? What does Scripture claim for itself? Does it live up to its claims? Who wrote the Bible, God or man? Like I said a few weeks ago, was it all of Paul that wrote that? Was it all of God who wrote that? Or was it all of Paul and all of God who wrote that? Or was it, you know, how did this thing work out? Has Scripture been protected from human tampering over the centuries? That's a big one. I'm on the very first page in the dots. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven down. Has Scripture been protected from human tampering over the centuries? You can have something that's just a few days old and get completely tampered, right? right. Somebody can. Say it has been tampered. I mean, look at how many of them wrote their own Bibles and stuff and still right. claim it was God's Word. Right. You have full religions that have came out of this. Uh, people that have supposedly heard from angels and now we write... Uh, the Book of Mormon is one of them. Now I'll write this whole entire book. But when you put it against this word here, what does the last words of Revelation say? If you add anything to these words. Now granted, when you go back into the Old Testament, it says the same thing. So you could ask the question. It says that in the Old Testament, how did we get our New Testament? Well, that's Jesus. <laughs> Whenever God comes in, in, his, in the flesh and says words, you might want to write that down, right? Yep. And how do, how do we know that Jesus was God? By the testimony. I think Kevin mentioned last week. We're going through uh, the, uh, the gospel according to John in our Sunday school class, and that was the, one of the main questions we've been asking. How do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? How do we know that Jesus was God? Right. It wasn't just Jesus saying, I'm God. It was everybody else and the works. He did the works of God. He could, he could stop the waves. He never really proclaimed himself who he was. He just said, you say who I say. I mean, right. He did eventually, but yeah. I mean, think, you know, he, he said that everything was basically happening in his timing. Right. 
all these things happened. So if he revealed himself as the Messiah to the whole entire world at once, they would have hit, that would have been it. So little by little, you see glimpses until he finally says, yeah, you say I'm the king. My kingdom is not of, of here. Will you send him a text message and tell him, leave me alone? <laughs> 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 but anyhow so that's that's something to ask the question how do we know it's not been tampered with how close to the original manuscripts are today's translations because it wasn't written in english right so how do we know they captured the words and they used them correctly now as like i said a few weeks ago when you're studying your bible it is good to have a copy of something that can guide you, an interlinear or something, where you can go back and see what these Greek words meant. Because if love is just love in our language, I can love ice cream, I can love my father-in-law, I can love Fagin. But is that the same kind of love that God loves with? It's a love that none of us have, agape love. Right, right. So knowing those things and knowing... Um, there's differences in meanings of words. It doesn't change the meaning here, but it, it, it puts a little bit deeper meaning to what you're reading, right? Yeah, I've heard Nick say it several times, you know, we use the word love so loosely. Right, right. But we don't have any other word. We don't have any other word, and our, our language is really dumbed down to what their language was back then. We're so lax in everything. Uh, I could probably give you a hundred examples of just slang that we used that they would have never used back then. But their, their vocabulary was so rich, I guess. Uh, the Greek and the Hebrew had so many different words and it, was, it was mainly came from like gut. It was, this makes me feel like this. And the way that they could deeply explain things like love, that we just say, I love you. Or I can show you I love you. But they had different ways of, of saying it. So, um, how did the Bible get to our time and in our language? Is there more scripture to come beyond the current 66 books? I would say no. Because there, once Jesus has came, what more do you need to hear? God spoke through the prophets. He spoke even through animals at some point. Um... He spoke through his angels. But then he comes himself to earth and speaks. You don't need any more revelation than that, right? And then he is coming back. Who determined and on what basis that the Bible would be composed of the traditional list of 66 books? Did they just draw them out of a hat? How, how did they know what to put where? That's, that's a question, right? Good question. If the scriptures were written over a period of 1,500 years, so from 1405 B.C. to A.D. 95, passed down since then almost 2,000 years, so 2,000 years after they've been written, took 1,500 years to write, and uh, translated into several thousand languages, what prevented the Bible from being changed by the careless or ill motives of men? Does today's Bible really deserve the title, The Word of God? And it says, undoubtedly, these questions have, been, have bombarded the minds of many. And also, 
us, at some point, you would have asked these questions, right? The, another reason this study, I believe, I don't believe it mentions it in here, is so well. How many times have you had a conversation with people? And I'm not saying that we're, we're doing this just to get an argument. Have you ever heard of apologetics? Mm -hmm. Defending your faith, right? How can I defend my faith if I know zero about this book, right? I can believe this book, but how do, I, how do I bank my life on this book if I don't know anything about it? If I can't even defend my own faith? I mean, I, I would go out on a limb to say there's probably people in our church that couldn't even explain their own faith. And it's not because, I'm not saying they're dumb, they just, you, some people just don't take the time to understand, right? I can tell you I'm a Christian, but what does that mean? If I ask you that, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, even the demons believe, right? How does it go deeper than that? How do I know that this is the Word of God and this is how I live my Christian life? Because without this, I'm telling you, we're in a mess. Without this preaching every week that we get, praise God for that, we would be in a mess. If we took this Bible away and you could say, live your Christian life, it is not possible. Because you'll go back to default, which is not what God, what pleases God. It's what pleases us. All right, the scripture self-claims. It claims to be the word of God over 2,000 times in the, in the Old Testament alone. So plenty of times in this book. But here's the thing. How... Can we prove a book to be the Word of God only by the Word of God? And that's the big question, right? You ask people in the world today if they believe in absolute truth, and most of them will tell you no. You'll find flaw in some kind of truth one way or the other. There is no absolute truth. But God's Word says it is absolutely true. It is without fault, without error, inerrant. It is pure. Uh, turn to your second page. And we'll just, I'm just going to kind of scroll through some of these points to get to where Kevin left off last week. The very top, it says the phrase, the Word of God occurs over 40 times in the New Testament, so it's still claiming to be the Word of God. It is equated with the Old Testament. It is what Jesus preached. Why would God not preach His own Word? Every time you heard Jesus speak. I mean, when he stood up in, in, the, in the synagogue to begin with and he read the scripture from Isaiah, what did he say? Today, the scriptures are fulfilled. One of the things Kevin went over last week, if a prophet made a claim and it did not come true, it did not eventually come to pass, don't believe that. Don't believe that man, right? Right, right. Right. And on top of that, they killed all the prophets anyway because they got tired of hearing God speak. That's how God spoke was through men. Even Jesus. They killed Jesus because he was preaching God's word. He was saying he was God, which was God's plan from the beginning. Um, it was the message that the apostles taught. What did it mean to be an apostle? What what? What qualified you as being an apostle? What had to happen? Chosen by Jesus. Chosen by Jesus. But yet, 
We still have people who claim to be apostles today. That's not, it's not the same. They're not chosen by Jesus saying, Jesus, I mean, look at Paul's encounter. Jesus was resurrected and he is, Jesus is standing right in front of him, made him blind. But Jesus charged him, this is what you were going to go do. He was still an apostle. You have uh, some of the disciples that are some that the word was passed through that they weren't actually apostles. You had the actual seed that witnessed the, the, the truth first about the Jesus. You had to be called directly face to face by him. So unless the word came from them, and this is how the church, the church, uh, the early church decided on this book right here. If it didn't come from a prophet and a prophet that, whose prophecies came true, if it didn't come from Jesus, God himself, or if it didn't come from an apostle, it wasn't God's word. It was just plain and simple. But you have so many books out there, especially in what they call the, the silent years or the intertestamental, uh, inter, how do you pronounce it, intertestamental period. It was at 400 years between Malachi and Matthew that God didn't speak at all. It was dead silence. But yet in that time, you have all these revelations of people saying that God said this and God said that. Um, and the reason we don't have that in our Bible is because none of that stuff stood the test of Scripture itself. It wasn't from a prophet. It wasn't from Jesus. It wasn't from an apostle. Those are big to know that the accounts that we do have have been tested uh, it was the word the Samaritans received as given by the apostles. It was the message the Gentiles received as preached by Peter. It was the word Paul preached on his first journey, his second journey, his third. He didn't, do, he didn't say anything else. He didn't preach anything else outside of God's word. Nor should we even in today's time. If it's not God's word, it's not worth saying. Right. Right. Yes, the, 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 the preaching and the teaching in today's time, and don't hear me hitting on... That's why it's important we should know what the Bible says. Right. That way we can de detect ourselves who is actually preaching the gospel. Right, right. The, the preaching and teaching of today's time has... You know, it's, it's always been a problem. False teaching has always been a problem. The Bible addresses that clearly. Why do you think that the world would flock to huge churches if they were hearing the word of God. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. And when you flip on some of these preachers, who all didn't start out bad, but I think between pleasing man is one big thing, because we like to have our ears tickled. We like to feel like we got it all together. And you get, what you get out of this is these emotional messages that are, I'm going to read one verse here, and then I'm just going to, pump you up the rest of the time. Most I'm gonna, of the time they're only preaching one characteristic of God. Right. Most of the time it's just love. Right. It's, it's, it's love all the way around. And if you preach love without wrath, I don't find anything wrong with myself, right? I don't feel like I was ever an enemy of God. If I don't feel some of that weight of wrath is going to be poured out on you, whether it's now or whether it's later for eternity, if I don't feel that, I don't, I don't think I need to be saved from anything. 
But if all I hear is Jesus loves you and he wants you to live this great life, I mean, I'll buy into that all day long. Well, sign me up. Let's do it. Right, right. If you walk away from God's word and you feel better about the person that you have always been, then you probably didn't hear God's word. It usually has a convicting factor. It's feel-good preaching and people come to hear that feel-good yeah. part of it mm -hmm. where all the money's getting poured into it. Right, right. They just go there to feel good and they hear right. all this good stuff right. about themselves. Yeah. That's exactly right. God's love, and if you love God, spend me $5,000 in God right. Right. The only problem, the problem with things like that is people keep sending money. But what, what do you know about, if, if I said you send me $100 and God's going to bless you and God don't bless you, you don't get that blessing the way that you thought you would, what happens? I lose faith. <laughs> I'm going to lose faith altogether. Right, if it, if, and you know, that's, that's a lot of the problems that we have, even, even in just, just general church altogether. It could be a good sound. I don't understand why people keep pouring into it. Right. It could be a fault, though, that we ha even have in our... Right. They get so wrapped up in a false belief. Right. That's what Satan does to us. Oh, no doubt. He gives us false hope. Right. And as long as we have false hope, we'll keep, keep chasing that rabbit mm -hmm. down that same path. Right. A lot, of people, a lot of people come to church because they have a bad marriage. A lot of people come to church because their kid is sick. And they believe, and Jesus has all the power to, to fix any of those things, but when it don't work out the way that they wished it would, they only put their hope there because of something that they're expecting in return. I should put my hope there because I, eternal life is a big thing for me, right? And the fact that I'm looking here and I'm looking, I'm staring directly at hell and I need a savior. Oh yeah, and here's one right here. Not that my marriage is, in crumb, is crumbling. It's, it's nothing to do with that. Can Jesus fix your marriage? He sure can. He sure can. If he doesn't do it, if he doesn't, if he doesn't save your kid from that sickness, if you have put your hope in him only for that and your child dies or your marriage fails, you're going to walk away from it. And, 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 and that's a huge, huge thing. And you see, I mean, even in Scripture, where they were with us, but they were not of us. Those, and we see, it's, it's always, it happens in this church. You'll see people come in for a short period of time and then they're right back out. And you ask the question, well, what, what happened? Sometimes they'll say and sometimes they won't. But most of the time, they have put their hope in what they think is something and most of the time, it's probably not a bad thing that they're putting their hope in, right? No. I, I need help. I need help. But then when help don't come, or maybe they did get help, then they're back out until they need it again, they come back. But maybe they was, yeah, sometimes it happens this way, that they do get that help, but they don't accept the help. That's what the help that they needed. They feel like they needed something else. Right. If I'm saying it right. You know right. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. All right, to move a little further, where it says Psalm 19 and Psalm... 119, so it's the second small paragraph there, plus Proverbs 35 through 6, make powerful statements about God's Word, which set it apart from any other religious instruction ever known in the history of mankind. Now, when you look back in the history of mankind, I can't even name you all of the different religions. You name it, it's there. 
even to the point where it was drunken orgies that were religious groups. Now, that's hard to believe, right? But, that, but it's saying this is the, it, it is set apart from everything else. Well, the Israelite children even set up an a, a image of an unknown God for those things that maybe they missed. Right. And, right. And, you know, uh, how stupid can you get? Right. They want to capture them all, right? But this is saying it is set apart from, from any of that. The Word of God is the only thing that is without fault. And when you go through, I don't know how many of y'all have looked into other religions, you can always find that they lead to a dead end. The God that they worship or the person they worship dies. That's it. That doesn't come back. That's just it. So we're just, it's, it's done. It's over, right? Right. There's an old gospel song that talks about the, uh, the different religions and uh, uh, Buddha and Muhammad and different ones. They're all in, still in the ground. Right. Right. That's, that's the thing that sets it apart. Uh, the next paragraph, the Bible claims ultimate spiritual authority. Ultimate spiritual authority in doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Next paragraph, God's Word declares it is inerrant and infallible. You cannot find fault in it. But yet, that's what people claim. Where they, where they find fault is, is they want to grab one verse out and say, it says this here, and it says this over here, but never look at the context of what was going on. They don't care to. They just want to find fault with it and walk away from it and, that, and be done with it. In other words, it is true and therefore trustworthy. All of these qualities are dependent on the fact that scriptures are God-given. If it came from just man... And even the Bible claims that everybody is evil. Everybody only has evil thoughts continually. That our hearts are darkened. And that we are enemies of God. How could we ever write anything to do with God that would be trustworthy and true? So it all has to come from God. Which guarantees its quality at the source and at its original writing. So God worked through men, was Holy Spirit inspired, do you honestly think that he'll let him wrote something down and carried on and call this the, the Bible if it was all false? You just said the magic word right there to everything you've been talking about from the get-go. It's all spiritually inspired by God. The prophets were given a word from God after Jesus came and he ascended back. He said, I will send you a comforter. And that comforter will be the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And will you give you guidance in all things. Mm-hmm. So therefore, every writing that has we read in the New Testament is inspired by Jesus Christ. Right. By the Holy Spirit. I'm right. Sorry, by, right. By the Holy Spirit. And then over in Revelation 22 that you alluded to, woe unto the man that takes away or adds to anything within framework of his writing. Yeah, basically all the bad things that I've mentioned in here is going to fall on your head is basically what it says. So the first was, was a directive from God and the 
in the Old Testament, the last, the New Testament, is a directive from the Holy Spirit. Right. Another a third of the Godhead of the Trinity. Right. In Scripture, I'm one, two, three, four, five down. In Scripture, the person of God and the Word of God are everywhere interrelated. So much so that what, whatever is true about the character of God is true about the nature of God's Word. That's huge. Whatever is true about God is true about God's Word. God is infallible. God is pure. God is holy. All, the, all, of, all of the attributes or everything that's true about God is also true about God's Word. God would not give us a false word if He was pure. Then He would be false. Since He is pure, everything we have is pure. Thus, the Scripture can make these demands on its readers. That's the next little line. Uh, so He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. We all understand that, right? As Christians, we should understand that we can't live by bread alone. We live by eating bread. We live by eating food. But that can't be the only thing that we live by. The most important thing, more important than any food that you ever put in your mouth, is the Word of God. He says uh, in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. A Christian should be able to look at the word of God and know that I need this to sustain me more than I need any food to sustain me. That I cannot make it without God's word. If this is not preached into your life every day, then don't, don't expect to go through your day and be this holy person. Exactly. Your mind does not stop working, does not hit idle and just and go into neutral and nothing's happening. It is. Exactly. When you look at it in the same way that you need food, you need this more than the food, then I will be coming here way more than I'm shoving stuff in my mouth, right? And when you, can, when, when you go throughout your day and you do not have the Word of God, if you have not meditated on the Word of God, if you're not thinking, I, and, and you know, it gives us examples of how we do that, singing hymns. I know some of the days that I might not remember what it says here, but I'm singing some hymn in my mind, and it's something that's just reminded me of God's character. Without those things, it's garbage in, garbage out. And I'm telling you, the garbage will go in, and it will come out in some form. You might not rip a cuss word out with it, but it, it might be up here, or it might not be something damaging to somebody, but it's up here, and this is where sin starts. Right, right. Okay, now with the publishing process, and I think this is pretty close. He made it, I think, to ready for inspiration. So it says, The Bible does not expect its reader to speculate on how these divine qualities were transferred from God to His Word, but rather anticipates the questions with convincing answers. 
Every generation of skeptics has assailed the self-claims of the Bible, but its own explanations and answers have been more than equal to challenge. The Bible has gone through God's publishing process and being given to and distributed among the human race. Its several features are discussed below. So last week you looked at Revelation, how it is revealed. And he discussed a general revelation and he also discussed a special revelation. General revelation is like Psalms 19 where it says, uh, the heavens declare God's glory. Um, I think that was the right verse. And then in Romans 1 where it says, man basically stands without excuse. People can say, I do not believe there is a maker. I do not believe there is a God. But you will stand without excuse. Because you can look around and see that things were clearly made. If this was an accident, think it. How many in here have, have a background? You're a nurse, aren't you? You have, you have uh, a background in it too, right? Think about this, how the human body works. And you think about how nature works around us. What do trees need to survive? Water. Okay, we have water here, right? So everything's here for a tree to survive, but trees emit... Uh, oxygen, they need carbon dioxide. Is that accident? They can't live without it. And what can we not live without? The oxygen. Is that the happiest mistake you've ever seen? <laughs> Bob Ross can't even paint that happy mistake, right? Right. Right. And you can, look at the, you can look at the surroundings and go, well, this looks like chaos to me. Well, it is because it's a fallen nature we live in. But when you look at our bodies in themselves or you look at what an atom is made out of and when you look in the sky and you look at the galaxies and go, yep, it just all appeared one day. <laughs> what made it? Yeah. Things have to be made, right? I think the example he used was this building just popped up. And then he used, I know he's told me this story several times where he had lined the peanuts up and let the guy step across them and act like he didn't know anything about them and say, well, you can't expect me. You think I'm dumb that them peanuts just lined us so well? Look at everything around you. How did this just magically happen, right? You have to have a creator. I believe Edgar Adam told the poet in the uh, poem The Raven, and I may be totally wrong. He, he had a line in it that only God can make a tree. Right. And that's so, that's so right. As smart as man is, he can't make a tree. Right. I can remember years ago, we got hung up on um, Ray Comfort. And he went into a college, and it was out in California, so you know they were way on out there. And he went to a, a professor uh, that had, was, I don't know, probably in his 50s, so he had been teaching for several years. Smart guy, right? And he asked him if he believed in, what was the word? Divine. Basically, things are made, their makeup, if he believed that something had to make these things. And he said, no, I don't believe in that at all. And he said, okay, well, you make me a rose then. Divine intervention. No, it's a, I can't think of that. It's a, it's a, it's a monster word. Design. Intelligent, Intelligent design. 
design. Do you believe in intelligent design? And they said, absolutely not. And he said, okay, make me a rose then. And he said, well, I, I would have to know everything that was in the rose in order to make it. He's like, yeah, but you don't have any of those things. And then I want you to make it out of nothing. Right. And he said, that it's, it's impossible. You, I, I can't do that. And he said, okay, so something has to make something, though. If you can't take something and, and recreate it and make it and don't use anything, you have to make all of your things. Eventually, you're going to come to nothing, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we look at Revelation and we see uh, a general revelation and we see a special revelation. General, remember, is just everything around us is a revelation about God, that we have a creator, right? Special revelation was like uh, the example Kevin used were Moses and the burning bush. God shows up in some supernatural way, whether it be by um, a dream or it be by um, an angel, a messenger, God himself. That is special revelation. God chose the people that he, he didn't just speak to a whole, the whole entire world. He chose the people he wanted to speak through, right? And then we have special, special revelation from Jesus himself. You also have it, uh, so, so it would be through the prophets, it would be through Jesus, and then it would be through the apostles. It says here, God took the initiative to disclose or reveal himself to mankind, Hebrews 1.1, which says in the uh, former days or the days before now, uh, he chose to speak through the prophets, through dreams, and all these different things, but now he has chosen to Reveal his word through what? His son. So he, you, you swap from here to now, it's, it's him in the flesh, right? It says the vehicles varied. Sometimes it was through created order and other times through visions, dreams, or speaking prophets. However, the most complete and understandable self-disclosures were through the propositions of Scripture. The revealed and written word of God is unique in, in that it is the only revelation of God that is complete and that so clearly de declares man's sinfulness and God's provision of the Savior. Now we move to inspiration. The revelation of God was captured in the writings of Scripture by means of inspiration. What does it mean to be inspired? What, is, what does inspiration mean? Right. Something provokes you into something, right? This has more to do with the process by which God revealed himself than the fact of his self-revelation. All of Scripture is given by, by inspiration of God. Scripture claims that in 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, Peter explains that the that the Peter explains the process, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That's huge to note. God didn't say to this person here this, and then that person says, well, I think God was trying to say that it wasn't a private interpretation. God said this, that person wrote this, right? 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, praise God, but holy men of God spoke as if they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It was always moved by the Holy Spirit. I could sit here and think, well, I think God is like, and, and create, I mean, at some point, I probably created my own God in my own mind. I wanted him to be this way. I wanted him to be okay with me living this way. But scripture claims something different. And my God and who God is didn't line up. So praise God that the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write things that were true about God. God says, that's, that's the, the reason Kevin can stand up here and preach from the pulpit and say, thus says the Lord. Takes a lot of weight off of him, right? Some things are hard to say out of this book because they it don't sit well here, right? Thus says the Lord means if you have a problem with it, you don't have a problem with Kevin. You have a problem with God. God says it, and you don't live your life according to it, you're at fault. Not Kevin and not the Bible. No doubt. No doubt. And it's not just the gospel itself, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find accounts from everybody inside those, uh, whether it be from the healing of somebody or somebody saying something or somebody, one of the apostles saying, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah. It's all these different claims. Well, how did they know that? Well, did they just go, well, you mean you kind of fit the figure that we were looking for? No, they didn't think he would come in a lowly fashion. They had their mind set on this big, strong king, right? So they had to see things to believe it, right? They had to see the signs. They had to see that this person here that is making these claims that, I mean, I'm going to leave my whole entire life behind to follow this man i got to have a good reason for doing it, right? It ain't just because he told me to. i got to have some evidence to back it up that he is who he says he is. And we see it time and time again where he proves himself to be God. Uh, by this means, the word of God was protected from human error and, it's, and in its original record by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we can know that God directed his word to the person to write it down and that nothing was missed. There's no words missed in there. There's no meaning missed in there. That's huge. A section of uh, Zechariah 7.12, we're going to turn there, describes it most clearly. And you don't have to flip there because Zechariah is one of those hard books to find and I can read it to you. You can go back and check it. It says, They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. The Lord had sent by his spirit, by his Holy Spirit, through the prophets. There was nothing missed there. God made sure that, that the way that it was delivered, that it would come out on the other end, is his word. The ministry of the Spirit extended to both the part, which is the words, and the whole in the original writings. Now, the next word, 
Uh, am I going to pronounce this right? This is one of them stutter ones. Before we leave that, I think if you talk about the inspired word of Jesus Christ, I think Revelation proves that to us as quick as anything does. Revelation 1 says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And along about Revelation 1.19, he said, write. Write what is bound and those things that are to come later. Mm -hmm. So that was a directive from, actually, the, from Jesus Christ directed by the Spirit of, of Christ. Right. And saying, this is the revelation of right. Right. Oh, no doubt. Because since they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, I mean, it lines up absolutely right with the Bible, and that's, you know, those were written over 2,000 years ago. Right. And uh, so, as far as man corrupting the Bible, I was watching a thing on the Book of Mormon, and they don't have any ancient scriptures to back up their book. No doubt. The Book of Mormon, there's, there's no ancient scripture to back that up. Right. No doubt. The usually the way around that they'll get around it, and your your super smart ones that well the ones that think they're super smart they'll use things like carbon dating, and they'll say we found bones and they're hundreds of millions of years old. Well, number one, bones uh, normally you're not going to find it in the dirt a hundred million years old, even if it's in a rock. But you're using man-made Test to try to prove that there is no God, which is what we've been messing up this whole entire time since the creation, right? I think that it should be this way. And when I want to prove something wrong, I'll fudge numbers, right? I don't want it to be right. I want to be, but the Bible says even those people that have hardened their heart so much that they might wake up every day and, and never question if there's ever a God again. At some point, they looked around and said something had to make this. Even they are without excuse. All right, the canonicity. And basically what you grab out of here is canon. The canon is the whole entire um, arrangement of Scripture. It is, it is the entire Bible and the reasons why it is laid out the way that it is. It says we must understand that the Bible was actually one book with one divine author. We have a bunch of writers over a long period of time, but it is one book by one divine author. Though it was written over a period of 1,500 years through the pens of almost 40 human writers, the Bible began with the creation account of Genesis 1-2 written by Moses about 1405 B.C. and extends to the eternity future account of Revelation 21 and 22, written by the Apostle John about A.D. 95. During this time, God progressively revealed himself with, and his purposes in the inspired scriptures, but this raises the significant question, how do we know what, what 
supposed sacred writings were to be included in the canon of Scripture and which ones were to be excluded. <clears throat> Over the centuries, three wi widely recognized principles were used to validate those writings, which came as a result of divine revelation and inspiration. First, the writing had to have been recognized, had, had to have a recognized prophet or apostle as its author or one associated with them in the case of Mark, Luke, Hebrews. Mark was not an apostle. Luke was not an apostle. We don't have a clue who, writ, who wrote Hebrews. Some think Paul, but it, it doesn't really match his writing style. And then also James and Jude, which were brothers of Jesus, they weren't called by Jesus. If you'll see in the accounts in John, they actually didn't believe in him at all. They were raised with him. And now you're saying that you're the Messiah? Second, the writing could not disagree or contradict previous scripture. Huge. Because when you take false teachings and you line them against the Bible, some will even tell you they're using this. And they might read some words out of it, but they're not applying this. They're not preaching this the way that, it, the, the way that God says they twist it into their own, their own way to make it mean what they want. But unless it lines up with this as a whole, it doesn't make it into this book, right? Third, the writings had to have general consensus by the church as an inspired book. That's another big thing because we can disagree on millions of things. But to know that the early church looked at this book and when they got done with it and said, it all, we all believe that this is the word of God. We all, we all have put this thing to the test. Way more than what we ever would think about doing. Way more than probably scholars would ever think about doing. And, and granted, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, by the time he's born, the Old Testament has already been proved out. That canon is already there. They're already preaching out of it. That's what Jesus preached. The reason that you can look backwards because he preaches out of multiple things and it all kind of interlocks into one another. Did you ever hear Jesus preach out of the Apocrypha? No. Nor does he mention any of the other ones. Uh, Enoch and all those. Never, never does he quote any scripture uh, from them. So that's another big thing. If Jesus didn't say it, it's not, it doesn't matter, right? I can say a bunch of good things about God and say that I believe God is saying this, but if it doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture, it doesn't make it into this book. In Matthew, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right. The Old Testament, basically when you're looking into the New Testament, Jesus is fulfilling everything the Old Testament had said about him. Everything was looking forward, and he's preaching, looking backwards, and bringing it forward, saying, here it is. Here it is. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm fulfillment of all the prophecies. And third, wait, I already read that one. Okay, thus, when various councils met in church history to consider the canon, they did not vote for the canonicity of, of a book, but rather recognize after the fact what God had already written. So they didn't go and say, well, you know, does this... They just said, this is what God has already written, right? 
It was nothing added to it, and then we're not going to take anything away from it. With regard to the Old Testament, by the time of Christ, all of the Old Testament had been written and accepted in the Jewish community. The last book, Malachi, had been completed about 430 B.C. Not only does the Old Testament canon of Christ's day confirm or conform to the Old Testament, which has since been used throughout the centuries, but it does not contain the uninspired and spurious Apocrypha, that group of 14 rogue writings which were written after Malachi and attached to the Old Testament about 200 to 150 B.C. in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament called the Septuagint, Septuagint appearing to this very day in some versions of the Bible. However, not one passage from the Apocrypha is cited by any New Testament writer, nor did Jesus affirm any of, its, any of it as he recognized the Old Testament canon of his era. By Christ's time, the Old Testament canon had been divided up into two lists of 22 or 24 books, respectively. Each one contained all the same material as the 39 books of our modern version. In the 22-book canon, Jeremiah and Lamentations were considered as one, so you've got to remember that. That's the reason why it's saying 22 or 24. They were one, and Judges and Ruth were one. They were combined together. So you had 22 in the old, the ones we have is 24 because that's split apart. I'm going to stop right there because it's just going to keep, keep going down. And read, read ahead and go back and reread. And, 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 you know, try to remember these things. Because like I said, when you... When you are approached by somebody or when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, if you can't explain why you believe this Bible, then how are they going to believe it? And, so, and, and we're called to defend our faith. We're not called to argue people to the bone because you're not going to argue this with the world. Their mind is already set. But you can give them, uh, you can give them good reasons why you believe what you believe. And it only bolsters our faith even more to know that I can trust this book all the more to know that there's not one word in it that wasn't meant to be in it. And I can bank my life on it. All right, does anybody have any questions about anything we went over? I know it's, it's, it's kind of it's repetitive, but it's also digging a little bit deeper as we go along. I, this is a really, really good study. All right, if nothing else. Fagan, you want to dismiss us?